Thank you for listening to the BJJ Brick Podcast. We'll be bringing you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and good times. We hope to flatten your Jiu-Jitsu learning curve, help you get the most out of your grappling ability, and meet your goals both on and off the mat. Welcome back, my friends. Episode 79 of the BJJ Brick Podcast. I'm Gary, and I'm here with Byron, as always. How you doing, Byron? Gary, I'm doing great. How about you? Oh, I'm doing great, and I'm doing even better because we got such a great show today. Today, we've got Jared Megalodop. Uh, we have an interview with him, so uh, um, you probably all remember him as uh, uh, Purple Bell, who uh, shocked everybody at the ADCC. And uh, so we're going to talk to him and uh, uh, get some insight from him and, uh, and hopefully learn some. Yep, he's, a, he's now a brown belt uh, and uh, doing good and training hard. So we kind of catch up with him and, and see what he's wanting to do in the future and what he's doing now. So uh, really good interview. He, and he gives a lot of good advice for people who are training and trying to get better themselves. So a really, really good interview for everybody to listen to. Yeah, we've got a lot of stuff to cover today, man. So we better get right to it. Let's get rolling. We got some discounts uh, for our friends out there. Uh, the first one is the BJJBox.com. We have a coupon code if you want to type in all capital BJJ Brick. Uh, you'll get twenty percent off uh, your first month subscription to the BJJ Box, where they will put some various items in the box and send it to you every month. Uh, you can go and look on their website, and they've got uh, some examples of past uh, boxes they've sent out. Yeah, definitely a cool idea. You pay a one-month subscription, and uh, you get a box filled with uh, different jiu-jitsu products. You get to sample some stuff, get some shirts. So uh, I think it's a great idea. Uh, pretty neat pretty neat uh, uh, project there. Yep, so you'll save 20% off your first month. Um, it's just a just a fun way to, to kind of get something in the mail every day, you know. I, I'm reminded of the... Uh, the thing off the vacation movie, it's the gift that keeps giving the whole year round. <laughs> and it's better than the Jelly of the Month Club. Much <laughs> jelly better. of the Month, that's what it was. <laughs> so that's it's uh, a really cool idea. Idea. So. Yeah. And speaking of <laughs> gifts and great t-shirts and everything, uh, we also have a coupon code from our friend Ricardo, um, back from a couple episodes, two different parts there, uh, from Jujitology, and uh, his website is jujitsuka.co. So, J-U-I-J-I-T-S-U-K-A dot C-O. Uh, once again, uh, jujitsuka dot C-O. And uh, right now he's got some awesome t-shirts. They just came out. I know we uh, – or did we – we did talk about that on the air, didn't we, Byron? We mentioned that he was going to get, get shirts, but I don't think we okay. mentioned that they're actually out yet. And yeah, we'll put so a link shirt, on the on the notes for this as yeah. well. The shirts are out. Check them out. Um, and then also, he was nice enough for our listeners to give a 10% discount code on your order. So uh, definitely order. Uh, get yourself a cool shirt. Uh, take advantage of the coupon code, which is uh, all small letters, BJJ Brick. Put that in the coupon section there and uh, get 10% off uh, a couple cool T-shirts there. Yep. It's, so kind of uh, uh, two different discounts here. Go to the show notes, and you'll see how to type in the the promo code and, and have a link to the website as well. We don't get anything from this. We're just wanting to help get the word out on these people's uh, uh, products that they have for you if you're interested in getting them. We do have a way to help support us if you're interested. Uh, we do have finally our uh, little audiobook is out. It's called Your First Year of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu Audiobook. Um, it's got, uh, it's like two and a half hours, a little over, I think. 
It's got six chapters. One's finding your right gym. Uh, chapter two is your first month in BJJ. Chapter three, benefits of BJJ. Chapter four, techniques and positions you should focus on. Then uh, your training schedule. And then last but not least, tournaments. So just kind of a, a book that's uh, it's very similar to the podcast. If you're a fan of the podcast, you want to support it. Um, it's definitely something that, that you could do, and, and we really appreciate it. It's eleven ninety nine for the download, um, and it will go uh, a long way to helping keep us doing what we're doing. And uh, if, if you like listening to us, it's just more of a – it's just me this time. But, uh, just yeah, if, definitely uh, – Byron definitely knows his stuff. I've I've learned just about everything I know from Byron. I'm an incredible teacher, <laughs> Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, and he's laughing, but he knows it's true. He's just uh, – um, doesn't take compliments that well but byron byron is awesome great teacher great person you know even better person um but uh so yeah you'll definitely learn a lot from it so check it out yeah i tried to just try to think if i were to talk to like a new student what would i want them to know that during their first year and that's kind of what i threw into this audio book so uh, we appreciate your support guys uh if it's something that would help you or you want to help us out a little bit check it out gary you know how i always talk about the uh email list how i send out a, a link at the bottom of it yeah, yep. That's still going on. So if you sign up for our email list, the bottom of the email, uh, at the bottom of the email you'll get every Tuesday is a link to a Dropbox folder, which is going to have files in it. You know, you'll find parts of this audiobook in that. Uh, they're still just in there. I haven't changed it or anything. But um, you also find I did a uh, career day uh, probably uh, like three days ago at uh, at a high school about firefighting. So if you are, oh, that's uh, awesome. If you're interested in firefighting and you want to. Uh, kind of just look into that. Uh, sign up for the email list, and and you'll see the uh, my speech that I gave to the kids there. And it's about I think forty five minutes long or so. And uh, yeah, fun. I actually had I was going to go to a career day also there last week um, for podcasting. But the, pro- <laughs> but the problem was it was a day I was supposed to pick up my government check, and then uh, uh, you know because podcasting doesn't pay very well, <laughs> so I had to uh, make sure I got my government check. At the- from the mail there. Yep, you got to get that first. Otherwise, it uh, you, you can't keep the bill. You can't keep the uh, electricity on, huh? Yeah. Yep, <laughs> yep. A note to our listeners: if you're considering a career, podcasting is probably not it. Yeah, it should be a, a passion that you have, and maybe uh, we'll see if it works out a, a way to kind of pay for itself, if not a little bit bonus. But we'll see. Gary, we mentioned it last week. We have a very important event called Grapplathon for Amber Oxford. We're going to talk with the person who's running it. Here is Matt Lowe. Yeah, it's mostly for people in the Midwest. It's a, but that doesn't mean you can't, you know, donate and share. Uh, right now, it's a it's a Grapplathon for a female competitor, uh, a purple belt in Wichita named Amber Oxford Haynes. Uh, she's you know been real integral to the jiu-jitsu community, especially the. Uh, women's jiu-jitsu community and that's you know the great thing about jiu-jitsu is it is a community and she was diagnosed with breast cancer so we're trying to raise the money to alleviate any sort of stress and just take some of the worry out of it while she's not working so it's may 16th from 7 a.m to 7 p.m um there's a twitter uh choke cancer out and if you have any questions at choke cancer out at gmail you can contact me and we can get you with the right people. There's an event on Facebook, uh, Grapplethon, Show Cancer Out for Amber Oxford Haynes. Uh, there's a YouTube, or, um, not a YouTube, but a, uh, a You Caring page. That's the fundraiser page we're using. Uh, it's the same one that they used for the Shamako fundraiser when she had her epilepsy. So 
hopefully we can get enough interest generated. And uh, if you can't attend, that's fine. Just feel free to five or ten dollars, you know, through PayPal on there. Every little bit helps. That's you know the wonderful thing about jujitsu is that it's a community, and it really feels like that. Yeah, Matt, thank you for doing this. This is a, a, a great step up here, and and uh, everybody wants to help out Amber. If you've met her, you I know you want to help her. So this is a great opportunity to help somebody out. Yeah, hey, uh, Matt, could you also go on uh, tell us a little bit about um, what's going to happen during the Grapplethon at, at Fox Fitness in Wichita, Kansas? Uh, explain really how it works for people who just want to come and come to the open mat that day and train. It's yeah. a kind of unique yeah, idea. I thought Matt did a great it's basically like an open mat, but we're going to try to have at least two matches going at all times, uh, maybe three, depending on the, you know, we've had kind of an overwhelming response. So we're going to have people grappling constantly, seven minute rounds, and she's a purple belt. And then we're going to book all the rounds. So there's always somebody rolling from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. And it's encouraged from all different schools, all different gyms, completely open event. But we're going to have, you know, probably a bake sale, and I think I'm going to make some soap, and we're just going to do some various fundraisers. We've had really good help from sponsors like uh, Rocktopus, AGF, the local tournaments, and um, Breakpoint donated a couple geese. So the one that donates the most money or does the most rounds, they're going to win something. So we're pretty excited about the uh, amount of support we've had locally. Yeah, that's awesome. I really love the idea. You know, it's open uh, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Just come on in, get your roll on. There's no points. There's no winners. There's no losers. It's uh, basically everybody's a winner for showing up and uh, helping out a great person. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you, Matt, and uh, thanks for jumping on here and sharing the message with us. Thank you, Matt. All right. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you for Matt Lowe hopping on here and, and sharing that with everybody and doing it. And, uh, you know, I'm, I jump on Facebook about once a day and look at people's posts and, and, and things like that. Everybody's got selfies. I do it. Gary, I don't know if you post some selfies or whatever, but like, that's what people do. They take pictures with their phone and they, you know, you're at someplace cool. You take a picture of yourself and you, and you share it with your friends. But it's like I'm thinking of that and it's time to like turn that camera the other way. And, and, and take the attention off of yourself if you're able to and, and donate to, to like Amber or to some other person other than yourself. Like it's not all about Man, yourself like anymore. Yeah. So That does make sense. So if you've – especially if you posted a selfie today or maybe this week, maybe you should think help somebody else out. And uh, and it, it does make you feel good to, to try to you know contribute to somebody else's uh, fight. So so just, uh, just wanted to throw that out there. Maybe encourage one or two more people to donate. So Gary, we've got a quote of the week here. From our what friend, we got this week? Yep, Vic Torres, the last week's interview. He's got he's dropped, he's got a quote for us, so we'll go ahead and play that. My jiu-jitsu quote is, it never gets easy, but it always gets better. Just meaning that every every level that you go, there's going to be somebody who's always better than you. You're always going to be somebody who's going to be on a different level than you to give you a hard time. And you could be on a brown belt or black belt level. It's still going to be, you're still not going to always, it's not going to be this easy ride, but every time that you roll it's just an amazing experience with amazing people and and ex- exchanging techniques and and um and it just jujitsu always gets better but it definitely never gets easy <laughs> that's cool and it, and it's i think that it helps with the encouraging people that you know i think a lot of white belts think once i get my blue belt it's going to be it's going to be easy. I'm going to understand what's going on. And that's not the case. You know, like there's a lot of tough blue belts out there that you're going to have to deal with. And 
It, Absolutely. Even if you have somebody's number for one day. Yeah. Like you have, you'd be some dude and you thought like, damn, I, I'm on his level now or I'm better than him. That guy's going to crush you the next time. You <laughs> <see>. no. <laughs> He's been thinking about that, you know, and he, and, and you guys just make each other better without even really knowing it. But, you know, just because you beat somebody one day, I mean, does not mean that, you know, you're, you're, you're at a level that person is going to come and, and try to get you. And it's just, everybody's trying to get better and it's just great. Cool. Yeah, I definitely like that. It never gets easy. It gets better. Yeah, I think it's uh, you look at somebody, especially when you're white belt or maybe a blue belt, and you see somebody who's been doing this for a little while, and you think that it's easy for them. It's probably not easy for them. And if it is easy, they're probably not training with people that, that would push them to become better uh, quickly. But um, nobody has it, it easy. Yeah, keep that in your mind, too. Like sometimes, like, have you just rolled with somebody who just dominated you? And you're like, oh, man, I'm not as good as I thought I was, or you're down on yourself. Man, I, I'm going to use that 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 saying right there. It, you know, it doesn't get easy. It gets better. I, you gotta. Sometimes I just have to realize that there are, like Vic said, people on different levels. But if I keep an open mind and be positive about everything, I'm going to learn from it, and I'm going to get better. And it's it's. I just got to keep that attitude right there. Well said, Gary. the The music is telling us it's time to get on with the article of the week. It's not a jujitsu article specifically, but I think it will help out your jujitsu. So we've got an article from PsychologyToday.com, which I don't read that uh, regularly. I don't know how I ended up finding this. Maybe somebody, probably Facebook, somebody shared a link or something. Five ways resilient people get over failure. So I think that's a common thing that uh, people in jiu-jitsu are good at. I mean, having to tap out on a regular basis is a, like a little mini failure, but if you're resilient, you get through that and you go on and roll with another person. Yeah, you think about just about everybody when they started. They got throttled. It, you know, it didn't matter how big, how strong you are. You're going to go in and you're going to get tapped out over and over again. And it's the resilient people who are going to be black belts, who are going to be brown belts, who are going to be purple belts. They didn't give up. They just kept kept coming. Yep. So here's five things that maybe you could uh, add into your life if they're not already in there, or just kind of think about that you might be doing already. I mean, Jujutsu does add a lot of resilience to to somebody I think uh, the first thing they have is they practice gratitude and then it says they do not always they do not allow themselves to exaggerate how terrible their problems are they don't run around pretending how much worse things are going to get instead they view failure with an accurate perspective you know if you lose a tournament how big of a deal in your life is that event if you um, even if you get fired you know how big of a deal is that yeah it's going to be a little bit of a bump in the road but you know a year down the road or two years down the road, you might be doing better having to get a new job. Uh, number two, they look for lessons they can learn. And they don't make excuses for their failures. They they look at, the, look at what happened. They identify their skills and life lessons that can be learned from each one of those opportunities. They, they realize that by stumbling, they're pushing themselves outside of their comfort zone, which uh, in turn is going to lead to them getting better. Yep, number three is they respect their vulnerabilities. Uh, and it says resilient people use failure as an opportunity to spot their weaknesses. So uh, maybe that's something that you should work on and get better at on this weakness. You know, sometimes it's good to to make those BJJ bricks, you know, in or off the on or off the mat. Like get, you're really good at something. But also, you know, sometimes your, your failures and, and your setbacks show you, okay, you need to pick up slack on this area uh, in your life or in your game and uh, make that a little bit better. 
And then number four, they acknowledge their strengths. You know, they don't go around bragging that, hey, you know, I've got the best Gamora or the best uh, Iron Claw. You know, they, they, they simply acknowledge what they do well and they use their strength to their advantage. Smart people. Um, number five on here, Gary, is they create a plan to become better. So they pause and consider uh, how to approach the issue uh, differently next time. So if a project didn't work out, they're going to stop and think about, uh, you know, maybe the team didn't work well together. How could we approach the teamwork thing with a leadership uh, change maybe or just a different style of things? I don't know. But they just they consider things and then they try to make a new plan and they want to change it a little bit. They don't want to keep doing the same mistake over and over again. Um, it, it does say here uh, towards the end of the article, resilient people are able to feel good about themselves even when they aren't the best. Yeah, it, and that's a lot. We're, we're always not at our best. Yeah, the confidence allows them to face repeated failure with tenacity. So um, nobody's going to have success all the time. If you are, you're barely re- – you're playing you know, basketball with kindergartners. I mean that's, that's re- literally like – Yeah, but I average be, 13 points a game. That's pretty good. Do you usually yeah. win? Well, we were six and thirteen, <laughs> but uh, I grabbed a lot of rebounds and scored a lot of points. There you go. So if you, if you're like Gary and you're going to satisfy, uh, you know, the to, to get confidence by by setting really low goals, that's not that's not an effective way to to live your life. You know, you need to you're going to have setbacks if you're trying to push yourself and trying to better things around you. What do you mean low goals? I was trying to be the MVP of the league. That goal was so low you could slam dunk it without even jumping, Gary. <laughs> So I made second team all conference. <laughs> uh, it says at the very end of the article, it says, "With hard work, we can learn to use setbacks as opportunities to grow stronger." So Gary, just keep working hard at the basketball there, and those kids will eventually you'll get better and, and play a, a little higher league. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And the nice thing about this article too, it's just not jujitsu. This is the same thing with life. So uh, seems like jujitsu and life go hand in hand. Yeah, and and of course with Gary basketball. Yeah, well, <laughs> kindergarten basketball. <laughs> so Gary, we've uh, chatted about uh, basketball and, and psychology a little bit today, and and uh, we're going to get into some uh, very specific science things with uh, with Jared Dobb. It's kind of interesting, I, you know. It's I just like to hear what people are doing, you know, and, and a lot of his chemical engineering stuff is going to go over my head a bit, but uh, it's just fun to hear like what. What he what else drives him other than just jujitsu? So we talk, we get great advice for grapplers and for people wanting to compete and and for uh, kind of learn about how he um, accomplished so much in such a short amount of time of training. Um, so a lot of good information. But we also talk about Jared Dopp and what he does off the mat and and what he's doing at school and what drives him. So uh, really fun interview, and you get to get to know a, a real high level competitor. Let's roll it. All right, here we go. He is the most interesting grappler in the world. He hit 88 miles per hour on his bicycle, and his flux capacitor took him to watch the first wrestling in the Olympics. His tornado guard once left the referee homeless. He holds an impressive record in death matches, 58-7. and He uses the Heimlich maneuver to prevent from tapping to a choke. I don't always listen to podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the BJJ Brick Podcast. Go for the submission, my friends. All right, my friends, it's my pleasure to bring Jared Dopp to the BJJ Brick Podcast. Jared, how are you doing today? 
I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. It's a pleasure to have you here. We're excited to, to hear what you've been up to in the past couple of years. And uh, ever since your amazing uh, run at ADCC, it was I think you surprised a lot of people. But uh, seeing what, how hard you've been working and, and where you came from and where you're training at, it really shouldn't have been that big of a surprise. You, I mean, you've got such a great training environment there. And, and uh, we're really looking forward to, to getting to talk to you and getting to know you a little bit better and, and seeing what you're going to do in the future. Absolutely. So, I'm more than happy to share that with you. Well, cool. Could you kind of introduce yourself to the audience if they haven't heard of you yet? Okay, yeah. So I'm currently a brown belt under Rafael Lovato Jr. in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Um, I've won a couple world titles. Uh, won it in the gi at blue, and then I've won blue, purple, and brown in no gi world titles. Uh, I've won a Pan Am title at each belt rank, and I got fourth at the most recent ADCC in Beijing, China. I would say those are the those are the big accomplishments that I've had. Cool. You, how long have you been training? You know, I started taking it seriously about four years ago. That is a, an impressive list of accomplishments for anybody, but for uh, four years of mat time, that's that's amazing. Well, it's sometimes it's a little misleading because I actually did start I um, in high school, so I think 2005 is when I was first introduced to jujitsu. I just didn't really take it seriously and you know, I was in high school I was playing football running track doing powerlifting and then all this other stuff you know so it was and, and then I, I went off to college so I stopped doing it for a few years and then uh, after I got done with college football I said okay well I'm going to get back into this and actually give it a shot see what it's all about well cool could you describe your style of jujitsu to the, to the audience for me uh, I would say my style is really relentless on attacking I enjoy playing for takedowns and passing looking for the mount or for the back uh, I just think that that's more fun I will on occasion pull guard and look for the sweep of the submission uh, my, my style is very it's, it's very based on progressing so I don't do a lot of stalling, even when I'm up on points. I'm always trying to move forward and finish the fight. Um, I just have a constant in-your-face mentality. It's like the more pressure I can put you under, the more I can rattle you, the easier it is for me to come out on top. So you're always... Uh, that's, that's one of the reasons why it's so fun to watch you. You're always going to push the pace and, and, and try to just keep at your opponent and, and, and create opportunities through that almost. Yeah, if if I can take away any room that the person has to breathe or any any time that they have to recover, I feel like that's better for me. It, it can really break down people who are, who have better technique than myself because it really forces them to make a mistake. When, when you're tired and you're under pressure, it's it's a lot easier to mess up. Why is it that that? Is it just natural athletic ability? I mean, I can see you training hard all the time online. How are you able to do this on a consistent basis? I, I don't know that it, the, the athletic ability is necessarily natural. I think it was developed. Yeah. Years. Uh, I, as you know, I played football for about 13 years of my life. You know, uh, two and a half, three years of that was in college. And so I was a 
a pretty serious athlete and I've just never, I've never lost that mentality. I've never lost that work ethic. And I just think that's a, that's something that I bring that a lot of people don't have that former athletic background. And so I come in with that advantage, um, being able to move in ways that people aren't used to, being stronger than people are used to, understanding how to do the conditioning. And I think it's just, it, like I said, it's something that a lot of people haven't adopted yet because they aren't used to it. Looking looking back, you said you didn't really train. You knew about jiu-jitsu a little bit, and you did a little bit uh, in high school and stuff like that, but you were more focused on the traditional sports that people do in high school. Was that... Did that benefit you in the long run? You think, like, like getting that a mentality of, like you said, like a football mentality of, of training hard and and moving, like exploding like that. Did that help you in the long run? Yeah, I think so. It, it gave me a good base to build on. I it it taught me a lot of discipline, especially once I I got into college and I started to work with a lot more higher level athletes, higher level strength and conditioning coaches. I think it. It, it helps me to be able to prepare for each tournament. So in one way, like my work ethic and my preparation is always good and my my mentality is always good. It's something that I'm used to doing. Competition is something I've done for a really long time. Uh, the only thing that I think was maybe a little, a little detrimental in that was, as you know, jiu-jitsu is very... I want to say it's it's very based on how your opponent feels. So manipulating somebody's body weight, moving your hips, uh, there's a lot of finesse to it that maybe a sport like football doesn't have. It's probably more akin to wrestling, you know. So that that was maybe the only drawback in in those sports is uh, my finesse had to be developed. What little finesse I have had to be developed <laughs> over time. <laughs> Uh, that that's interesting that the the differences between the the sports. So um, I wrote down a couple of things. You said football, track, powerlifting. Did you you did not wrestle in high school? I didn't. I was from one of the few high schools in Oklahoma that did not have wrestling. Okay, well, that's interesting. But uh, it didn't seem to be. I wonder how different your game would be if you had wrestled in in high school. Because I mean, uh, Oklahoma is known for having great wrestling programs, but. Uh, you couldn't say it would be much better than what you're doing now because you're doing <laughs> so great. It's it's it'd be it, it might be a little different than what you're doing, but it's a different way to try to think about uh, your game, I guess. Yeah, I think I think maybe the big difference it would make because I do really enjoy wrestling and I like to work on it a lot in my off time. I, I pick up on it uh, fairly easy. I think the the biggest difference would be I'd probably wrestle more in the gi than I okay. do now. Yeah. I because now it's more of a I try to do a combination of judo and wrestling and then in nogi it's pretty much um, it's pretty much wrestling so I, I think that would be the only difference. Well, cool, and you've got congratulations on getting your brown belt. Thank that, you. That's Thank really cool. I'm sure that the the guys in the purple belt division are happy to see you go, and the guys in the brown belt division. You, you've got to be an intimidating guy to to, to watch. Um, you know, they've seen you compete in Ogi at like a world-class level with some of the best guys. And then you, you jump in their, their division and it's different with the Gi, of course, but, uh, just that factor alone of, of what you're going to bring to the table has got to be very intimidating for your opponents. You know, I don't know because I think a lot of the other, uh, a lot of the guys that I started 
competing against as a blue belt. Yeah. I think they've progressed at about the same rate that I have. So I see, uh, I don't want to say a lot of the same guys, but I see a decent amount of the same guys uh, at the big tournaments that I competed against through purple, through blue. And uh, they've gotten tougher too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's cool that you've uh, come to, up together as a group of uh, competitors. Do you do you have a preference, or gi or no gi, or? That's oh, that's the age old question. Yeah. So actually, I think for for my style and for my athleticism, I personally think that no gi will always be a little easier for me. Um, but I I don't necessarily enjoy it that much more. I really enjoy the technical aspect of gi jiu-jitsu i enjoy the gripping strategies because it's it's really what it breaks down to is your ability to outgrip your opponent but at the same time no gi actually has its has its technical aspects because your your grips are different and you have to understand how to get the same you have to understand how to get the same reaction out of your opponent without being able to grab cloth. So I don't think it's any less technical. I just think it's easier to get out of things. Um, man, it, it's hard to pick a favorite, but I think it's. I think no gi is always going to be easier for me. Yeah. So you just kind of mentioned that it's, it's harder to escape things when you're wearing a gi. When you're going to train for a big no gi tournament, are you still putting the gi on, or do you just switch all to no gi and, and get with that? I still try to do a little bit of gi when I'm getting ready for a no-gi tournament because I think there are some things that you uh, definitely miss out on when you're doing only no-gi. Like you said, uh, submission escapes. So it's, it's much harder to get out of a submission when you've got the gi. People are grabbing onto your sleeves, grabbing onto your pant legs. You also have the extra friction from the from the gi, whereas in the no-gi, uh, getting out of a triangle or out of an arm bar might be a little easier because you're slippery. That makes sense. It's it's interesting to see uh, different people's perspectives on on training for certain events. Um, with an event like ADCC, um, the rules kind of change a little bit every year. H- how did that uh, affect your preparation for the event? Uh, the biggest thing was preparing for heel hooks and the ten minutes. So I actually don't mind heel hooks, but we don't really heel hook each other much at our academy because it is you know it is kind of dangerous you don't want to show new people that right away uh, and then the 10 minute matches because when I was when I went there as a purple belt I had only been doing 7 minute matches so 10 minutes was a was a uh, new pace for me I had to adjust to that but What's really unique about ADCC is the first half of the match is no points, and the second half of the match, points are allowed. And it was odd to me because I would think that in the first five minutes with no points, you would be just going crazy trying to catch submissions because you you can't get scored on. Yeah. And, yeah, and then in the next five minutes, you if you didn't get that submission, now you're like, okay, well... Now I actually have to play for positions, and that that was kind of my thing. Is I was trying to trying to figure out how to do that. Of course, the guys I fought at ADCC were really good, you know, pretty high level guys. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> I probably wasn't going to submit any of them in five minutes, but um, th- that was something that was interesting. I actually didn't mind uh, not being able to score points in the first five minutes. I think that actually kind of played to my strengths a little bit because I have such good endurance. After the end of five minutes, going at someone hard for five minutes, uh, they might be a little bit tired, and the next five made it a little easier for me to score points or to draw a negative out of the other person. That, that's an interesting perspective. You, like you, you want to get that submission in the first five, and just by pushing for it and and, and making the guy work really hard, it made the second five easier for you. Uh, and and like I said, the, the ten minutes was new to you, but with your uh, how hard you train off the mat and, and, and all your, your preparation for the, the event, uh, the, the last five minutes were not a big deal. The, the going the whole 10 minute round seemed to be an advantage for you. Yeah, and, and I think it's depending on how your other person, how, you, how the other competitor wants to play also. So yeah. if, if you're doing 10 minutes and the other person just wants to wrestle with you and you're both wrestling for 10 minutes, it's going to be extremely exhausting. But uh, let's say what happened at ADCC quite often was the other person would pull guard and not that it takes any less effort to pass guard because these guys have good guards, but I can take a little bit more time. Uh, I can, I can find places to stop and breathe, catch my breath. The other person's usually looking for the same thing. So that, that did make it a little easier. You'd mentioned that you don't have, uh, your style, you don't stall at all. Even if you're up on points and even if you're you're doing very well, you're going to keep going and keep pushing. Uh, do you have any advice for dealing with this, with somebody who is stalling and trying to slow you down, like how, how to get through that? You know, that's, that's tough because, honestly, I have a different opinion on stalling than most people. I think it's easier to stall from the bottom. Yeah. Um, it, it seems like the guy who plays who plays guard – has a few more options to stall than the guy on top, especially in a gi, because you can. People started figuring out we can start wrapping lapels around the legs and uh, spider guard leg lasso and all that good stuff. So that makes it tough. I think the well and fifty fifty also obviously. So I, I think the biggest way to get past the stalling if you are a passer is you need to understand which method they're going to try to use. So one of my biggest things is I I actually kind of, I, I don't really practice the lapel guard much, but I do, I will practice 50-50 in leg lasso in, in training so that I understand what the other person is looking for. So So then when I am trying to pass it, I know what they want. I know what they need, and I know how to avoid giving them that. <clears throat> and I think that's a big thing that a lot of people miss out on is just understanding what your opponent's trying to do in every position. You know, uh, and then on the opposite side of that, if someone, if you're on bottom, and someone is trying to stall from the top, you know, there's only so much you can do. I think. The biggest thing for that is being able to move your hips, because as soon as someone can trap your hips, you're pretty much done. You can't you can't do much. So you need to be able to move your hips and escape and start. You really just need to start attacking anything and everything and forcing them to make a mistake. Um, getting under their getting a collar grip 
and getting your forearm under their chin or on their jaw and kind of forcing them away, being kind of mean with it too because they're, they're putting all their body weight on you. You know, uh, doing that while trying to escape your hip, attack on platas, attack X chokes, um, any, anything like that that will make them stand up or start to move around, uh, look for face plants, anything. Just get them moving and, 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 and things will open up for you, I guess, right? Yeah, I think so. The, the more aggressive you are on the bottom, you, you basically just can't give them time to stall. You have to be working. It's, it's all on you, and you need to create an opportunity there. Now, um, it seems like you talked a little bit about guard passing. When most people pass guard, they prefer, uh, and I don't know why, but it seems like a, a lot of people prefer to pass to their left. Have you noticed that kind of a trend? And a lot of times you, you, you pass to the right. Does that seem to throw people off or is there anything to that? Or am I just making something up that doesn't really? I think it does throw people off. Um, and I have noticed that a lot of people pass, pass to their, hold on, I don't want to say. A lot of people do pass to their left. Yeah. I, I think it's because, I, I would say it's because they enjoy having their right leg and right arm forward. And it's probably from being right-handed. Yeah. Um, and, and it also seems that when people are playing guard, they're not as good playing on their right side because then their left hand is dominant. But it, it seems like it's it's changing up. A lot, a lot of people are good playing on their right side now. But I, I actually like to pass whichever way works. Yeah. So, I practice everything on both sides uh, when I'm passing and when I'm playing guard. And a lot of times, passing to the right is what gets the job done. And I think you see, you know, uh, Adolfo passes to the right a lot. He'll, he'll pass both sides, but he has a lot of success passing to the right. And one of the one of my good friends, Dara O'Connell from Ireland. He loves to pass to the right, and he is hard to deal with. It just seems like, um, like I, like my half guard. I don't, I don't go half guard a lot, like voluntarily. I sometimes will end up there as they're trying to pass. I'll go half guard, and that's fine. But if they're passing to my right, so they're doing their the typical um, pass to their left, or hope we're not getting too confusing with this, but they're passing the normal way. My half guard's decent. Now, if they pass the other way, my half guard's almost non-existent. Like it, I haven't develop that because most people don't pass that way and, and watching you pass guards and and then when you pass to the right it seems like it it's, it seems like it throws people off sometimes and just the ability to threaten both sides versus just the one um seems like a like a good thing you have going for you yeah i think i think it's really helped me out with my passing and it does seem to rattle people a little bit and i think that's just because uh when you go to class everything is usually taught on one side yeah and and that's the thing a lot of people will just get repetitions on that one side. They won't get repetitions on the other on the other side. And I think I think I would run into a lot more problems passing to the right if more people uh, drilled stuff that way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. Um, we kind of forgot to mention it at the beginning. I wanted to bring that, but um, you're a full, you're a student uh, going to college for engineering. Is that correct? 
Yeah, I'm a, I'm a full-time student at the University of Oklahoma pursuing a bachelor's in chemical engineering. Chemical engineering. Are, are you uh, – I'm guessing you're one of the, the tougher guys in, the, in that uh, branch of the school. <laughs> Not a whole lot of chemical engineers that, that are uh, going to ADCC and winning uh, tournaments on the weekends. That's, that's pretty impressive. I haven't met another one yet, but I have, <laughs> I have met I have met a couple of uh, athletes in the program. Well, cool. How how now? Um, what year are you in your in your education? Um, well, I actually already have a bachelor's in chemistry. Okay, uh, and that took five years, but I'm in uh, I'm in my junior year, the last semester of my junior year in chemical engineering. So I've had a total of. I've had a total of six years of college so far. And how is it? Could you give me some uh, like uh, insight on what it's like to become uh, like an athlete, world class athlete, and then a full time student at the same time? Yeah, I, I, it's kind of tough, actually. I really, um, I wish jujitsu was a school sport sometimes because it, a lot of people watch. You know, you, you watch college football, you watch college basketball, wrestling, whatever. And a lot of people want to compare uh, jiu-jitsu as a sport to these other sports. And the difference is, is that if you play football for the University of Oklahoma, as, as I played football for Midwestern State University, you go to class in the mornings, typically. Sometimes you have evening classes, but that's pretty rare. And you go to lunch and you have practice from, let's say, three to five, you know, at, at least three to five. And you'll do that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and probably Thursday. So you've got two hours of, of being out on the field and going through repetitions. You also have your strength and conditioning that you may have done some other time during the day. And I think that's, that's the difference. So for me... I go to class. Um, engineering is a rather tough discipline. We have. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know if, if other people know that. I, I used to think it, it wasn't, but I started doing it, and it is. Uh, they give a lot of homework. I, I don't. I don't want to say a lot necessarily, but the homework that you get requires a lot of detail. Requires a lot of time. Yeah. Um, we also get a lot of group projects. And those uh, those are very strict. We have to provide a lot of content for those. <clears throat> and uh, for me, I it's it's not like what football practice was. You know, I don't walk you know a quarter of a mile to the locker room, change, walk outside, and practice on the field like I did every day. For me, I have to drive. Uh, a minimum of 30 minutes into the city because actually the University of Oklahoma is in Norman and our academy is in Oklahoma City. So it's at least a 30-minute drive to the city and then a two-hour class and then a 30-minute drive back. And those are all those are all minimums. Those are all ideal situations. Yeah. And that's uh, you know, it's at least three hours out of your day and, and which is tough because you know you have all these other things that you that you need to get done. So I actually only get to go like I actually haven't got to go to jujitsu this week uh, I'll only get to go on Saturday this week so but typically I try to make it twice I try to make it Wednesday evenings and then I try to make it Saturday for competition class which is 
it's kind of rough because during the week is when you typically do your your good technique work and you get your good drilling in and then on Saturdays is where you have your more competition style where you're doing position specific drills you're doing rounds from the feet uh, all kinds of it's more to simulate a competition um, so that that makes it kind of tough and, and the reason another reason I can only make it once during the week also is you know Classes, classes at a certain time every night, right? Yeah. If if you can't make it that, let's say you had free time at lunch. Well, there's not a class. If there's not a class at lunch, then uh, you know you can't make it. And I think that's something a lot of people don't get is because during spring break I was out in California. I stayed in San Diego for a week after the Pan Ams. And something that I saw while I was out there, I, I trained at a couple places, and there are so many different training times that you could go to yeah and, and i don't know why it's so different out there than it is here i, I think maybe uh you have a little more freedom with your jobs and, and over lunch out there and in here you know in oklahoma in the midwest all your classes are either offered really early in the morning or later at night there's there's nothing in that midday time and i think that's something a lot of uh, the majority of people in the jiu-jitsu world don't know about but in my uh, in my free time, when I can't make it to jujitsu, obviously I still do try to. I go to the gym on campus and I lift. I try to get an hour or two of strength and conditioning in uh, four days a week. So, and really the the facility is it's, it's almost like a wellness center facility. So I don't really have all the all the good stuff that I had when I was preparing for ADCC the last time. But I do what I can to make it work. So. One of the benefits of your uh, diligence about off the mat training is that it sounds like you're able to do that any time that is convenient for you. Opposed to jujitsu class, you need the class, you need the people to be there for you. Opposed to just just when you have free time, you can go you can go lift and go train. Um, what else are you doing off the mat to get to to stay in uh, great shape? You know, that's really about it. I actually. I, I try to participate in as many athletic events off the mat that I can, and and actually, not very many people know about this. I, I actually have only told a, a handful, but uh, OU has a club rugby team. Yeah, that I was. I actually went to a couple practices and did a team scrimmage at the beginning of the semester, and I was <laughs> I was going to try to do that, and it and it was a a lot of fun. It was a ridiculous amount of fun. But I just didn't have time. Yeah, I just ran out of time, and it's also I, I could see injuries happening in that. Um, just this week we had our first uh, intramural soccer game, so they have intramural sports all year round. You know, I, I suck at basketball, so I'm not going to do that one. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not very good at softball, so I won't do that one either. Soccer. Um, I don't know much about soccer, but I can I can steal the ball from somebody and kick it to someone from our team. Yeah, and you, and the running is good for you. Yeah, those exactly. Guys, those guys run all the time. A lot more running than I would get normally. Yeah. So uh, we have a team for our uh, our school's chapter of American Institute of Chemical Engineers. So you have a lot of uh, you have a lot of engineering nerds out there playing soccer against 
you know, whoever, what, whatever <laughs> other team came together. And uh, it's, it's actually a lot of fun, but it's really it's a, it's a really good way to stay in shape. Yeah, anytime you could, and that's one of the great things about jujitsu. If you could have fun and train, and you're going to have a a way to stay in great shape. You know, if it's if it's boring to you or you dislike it, that's you're not going to stay in shape. You're not going to stick with that sort of thing. Oh yeah, I think I think that's something that actually, I think that draws people to jujitsu. Also, is because it's also it's it's kind of fun. It's not monotonous. Yeah, you know. There's always something happening, something new. You're learning something new. Whereas some people they, they can't get into running because you you just run into them. That's boring, you know. Yeah. Um, just out of curiosity, why did you uh, choose chemical engineering? What was the passion behind that? Well, I was actually I, I was leaning a little more towards it because I had a degree in chemistry and I knew a lot of uh, chemical engineering. A lot of the classes coincide with chemistry not all of them but they have to take a lot of the same classes that chemistry majors do um i was actually considering doing petroleum engineering but i'm just not i'm not that interested in oil and gas yeah and it's kind of it, petroleum engineering is also kind of further away from the kind of research like if i if i go into research petroleum engineering is further away from the research that i would like to do Chemical engineering is a little closer to chemistry, a, a little closer to what I'm into. It has a, a good balance of physics and math and uh, all, all the things that I really enjoy learning about. Uh, the type of research you can do with chemical engineering is extremely interesting to me. So when I sat down and thought about it a little more, it, it became obvious which one. And I, I chose engineering just because engineering, I think, is the profession right now that has just the most options, the most job opportunities. And so when I decided to go back to school, it, it was either to get a PhD in chemistry, which would be a, a pretty limited career options or, uh, pursue a bachelor's in chemical engineering and then see how I like it and possibly go for a graduate degree. And when I just compared the two, the, the chemical engineering seemed like the obvious choice. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, being interested in certain kinds of research, what would be an example of some kind of research that you'd like to do? Well, right now I'm actually doing research, so adding on to the pile of things that I do because <laughs> apparently I don't have enough, uh, enough things to do with my time. Uh, I currently grow nanotubes. Um, there's multiple ways. To are, those, are those those giant tubes that you see all over the side of that? No, the, the, the tiny little uh, things that I've heard about. Yeah, yeah, they're just uh, they're just made out of carbon, and they're a couple uh, molecules. Like, kind of help me out here. What's how how big or what's the nanotube used for? Okay, so uh, we we talk about nano like nanomaterials. Yeah, it, it's just really small. So um, a nanometer. Okay. And it, or on the nanometer scale, that's how we have to that's how we have to look at it. And so if you look at we'll say graphite, like pencil lead, right? Yeah. So graphite is made out of just nothing but carbon. Well, if you take and take just one layer of that graphite, so one atom thick of carbon, you'll get this sheet, just one layer or one atom thick sheet called graphene. And if you were to roll that graphene just into a tube, you'd have a carbon nanotube. Now that, that's not how it's done, but that's the best way to explain what a nanotube <laughs> is. And you can have them. 
to where the nanotube walls are only one atom thick, or you can have to where it's multiple atoms thick. Did I did I read an article? Uh, maybe I'm making this up, but like, they would take um, that the pencil and, and, and make a mark on something, and then take a piece of tape and and pick up like a like a real thin layer, and that was something that they was was that a big would that make is that real? Yes, that's that's legit. So uh, you can take you can take graphite, you can take uh, pencil lead, you can write on something, take a piece of tape on there, and pull it off, and it'll pull off a really thin layer. That's actually how they first discovered graphene huh so how, do you, how are you growing I, we're getting off topic here i know but it's just i'm sure people are interested in what you're up to how, how do you grow nanotubes well uh, like i said there, there's a couple different ways the way that i'm doing it uh, my the grad student that i'm working with he works on uh, these things called fluidized bed reactors a comp- complicated thing uh but to simplify it basically it's a uh, it's a it's a long glass tube. Okay. With like a uh, with something called a frit. So if a frit is just like this really porous piece of glass in the middle of it. So if if I put like a powder onto that frit, it won't fall through. But if I flow gas through it, it will flow through. Okay. So we take a uh, we take the stuff that glitter is made out of. It's called mica. And you can make glitter out of that. Well, we uh, we treat it with iron and cobalt in order to get iron and cobalt between the layers because mica is actually a layered material. And we put it on a frit in this tube. We put it in an oven. And we heat this oven up to... Oh, around 700 degrees Celsius. And I'm... And there's a lot more steps to this, but I'm yeah. just trying to do the gist. And we'll flow a gas through there. So this is why it's called a fluidized bed, because uh, gas is technically a fluid. And we'll flow gases over this mica that has the cobalt and the iron in it. And what happens is um, the way you get the carbon nanotube to grow on there is you flow ethylene. Well, ethylene is a gas that is just two carbon atoms bonded to one, double bonded to one another, each of them with two hydrogens sticking off the end. And at a right at the right temperature, those bonds will break, and it will no longer be a gas that will form a solid on that iron and cobalt. And you literally grow a nanotube from that gas. So you grow a nanotube out of air, essentially. That's, I'm thinking, um, trying to, you're way beyond what I'm able to, to conceptualize, but it's kind of like like a crystal would grow. Um, you're using the right things to make a nanotube kind of grow in the air. Is that, I don't know. Yeah, so where, whereas a crystal usually comes out of a, uh, a lot of times you can make a crystal grow out of a liquid. Yeah. It's like if you had if you had salt, just normal table salt, and you put it in water, as that water evaporates, you'll see these crystals start to form. Uh, you know, for this, it's just I'm, I'm flowing the right, the right gas over this iron and cobalt, and that gas will just deposit carbon. Okay. On there, and then you just the the more carbon it deposits, the longer the nanotubes get. Oh, cool. What, what, what are these? I know, like these are going to be like the big thing in the future. What are they going to be used for, or what what is the prospects for these? 
You know, it's tough because they're not cheap is the problem. Um, but you you basically have two types of nanotubes. You have nanotubes that are kind of like metals, so they're, they're really strong. I don't know if one of the biggest things that they've been talking about is that, you know, nanotubes are stronger than steel. Yeah. I don't know how they test that. I'll be honest with you. But if you have the the nanotubes that are that act more like a metal, you could use they're they're really light, so you could use them in um, uh, car bodies. You could okay. Use them, you could use them on the uh, fuselage of airplanes and the wings of airplanes to keep the to keep it uh, keep the material light, but to keep it strong. Uh, you also have the type of nanotubes that are more like a semiconductor and those are really useful in things you know computers calculators phones things like that and that would that would be the next step for those kind I just I, I'm not sure when this will happen they need to find a cheaper way of producing the nanotubes yeah but, but they might they might be the next big change, or maybe a, a couple not a couple of the changes in, before then. But they might make a big change in cell phone technology or or anything like that. Yeah, that's that's the big thing. Cause a lot of a, a lot of the times, like where, where the research and the implementation, there's usually this big gap because, like at a university, you're you're just trying to solve a problem and you're trying to find out uh, the best way or the coolest way to do this. In, in an industry, they want to know the cheapest way and how to mass produce it. So you have to you have to try to find a way to bridge that gap. Yeah, there's a gap there. I always ask when when I'm talking to somebody about their what they do on the side. Is there any way that you've been able to relate either being being a student or studying these things to to jujitsu and kind of see any sort of a weird correlation between the two? You know what? Actually, yes. Um, I, th- I think it's something a lot of people miss. So, combative sports, grappling sports involve a lot of physics. Yeah, it's, it's more like you you wouldn't think of it that way normally. Like it, usually when you're when you're competing or, or when you're even when you're just rolling with your buddies, you are trying to find a way to get them off balance to get the sweep, get the takedown. Well. For me, a lot of times, and, and I, I also have a, a friend who's a who's studying aerospace engineering here, who used to train with me, and another friend who's studying mechanical engineering who used to train with me. They, they all used to train at Lovato's, so we all kind of think of this in the same way. But rather than thinking getting them off balance, we kind of think of it as like, okay, well, I need to manipulate this person's center of mass, or. I need to adjust my position on this arm bar so as to have a longer lever arm. Uh, things, things like that. Actually, it's is it, it's a different way to think about it than what most yeah. people do. But I think it makes things. I, I think it makes jujitsu a little easier for me at times. Well, cool. What do you do? Uh, just kind of changing changing gears here. Uh, what do you do before you step on the mat to compete to get yourself ready mentally or physically? Do you mean like just right before? Right before? Yeah, like maybe like a what you do 10, 20 minutes before your match. Okay. I try to do a lot of small, some, sometimes big. I try to do a lot of movement. You know, I, I don't like going into a match cold. 
so I try to try to warm up a little bit, make sure that all my joints are ready to go, that I'm not going to get out there and my hip's going to be tight or, or something like that, you know? So a, a typical warm-ups, um, I prefer to do like some high knees, butt kicks, um, shoulder rotations, uh, a lot of hip rotations, actually. I started doing that a lot more, and it started helping me a lot. Um, that's you know that's kind of the that's more of the the physical preparation. In the middle preparation, I try not to think about the opponent themselves too much, and I try to think more about what it is that I that I really want to do. No, ma- no matter who it is that I would be facing, what is it that I would want to do to them? You know, do I want to, do I want to do a takedown? Do I want to pull guard? Um, and just kind of, kind of going through that in my mind. Uh, I also like to listen, you know, I like to listen to music before, before a match. I think it helps, it just helps kind of drown everything else out because when you're, you know, when you're down in the bullpen, it's kind of noisy um, sometimes, not, not all the time, because jiu-jitsu still isn't at that point to where the, uh, the stands are just crowded, but every now and then it's, it's a busy part of the day and a lot of people are cheering for black belts out on the mat or something like that. And so I like to try to drown that out a little bit. Um, every now and then Lovato and I will discuss what the particular strategy is for this person and just try to get my mind right, you know? That's I, I, I try to keep it pretty simple before the match. Cool. It sounds uh, sounds like it's working for you. Um, now today uh, is is March twenty seventh, and this interview is not going to air till mid April. But uh, so we don't know for sure if you're going to uh, ADCC this year. But what are your thoughts on uh, potentially competing this year at ADCC? Oh man, I'd absolutely love to compete at ADCC this year. Uh, the, the only thing is. is they changed the date, they moved it back, and that that kind of sucks because now I, I'll have to, if I do get invited, I'll have to fly down to Brazil right after school starts rather than before I was going to get to go uh, right at the end of my internship this summer, and I still have a few weeks before school starts, so I would have been able to stay down there a little longer, but I'm, I really want to go, I'm really interested to see who they invite. There's obviously the staples that they will always get invited, the big names, but they, you know, there's new people that come up every year. There's new faces. And I think ADCC is one of the most fun tournaments that I have ever participated in. I had a really good time competing against the top guys in the sport. Not, you know, not, not just because I, I did well, but just because it's, it's different. It's a different experience. The games, everybody's game is so solid, and and each person's game was actually very different that I that I faced, you know. And it, it was just a wonderful experience, and I'd love to do it again. And I think I have gotten just ridiculously better since then, you know. And obviously, anybody can beat anybody, but I think uh, I think I can do a lot more this time than I did last time. Oh, cool. That, that would be, uh, an impressive sight to see. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's always different. Um, I mean, 
uh, from a fan perspective, I can't see them not inviting you to to compete this year. It was such a great performance last last time. So uh, I'm hoping that that they uh, send you the invite. You ever think about doing any other style of uh, competing, like a Metamorphs or something like that? Oh yeah, absolutely. I actually was uh, invited to do a, a submission only tournament, or it, it was Metamorphs style. Yeah, but I, I I just wasn't able to get the dates to work out because it was man, it was just at a bad time for me school wise. Yeah. That that's one of the unfortunate things about schools. If if I do get an offer, I have to try to find a way to work around that, which I've done a few times. It it makes when you come back to school, it makes it really rough. Yeah, it sounds like um, you know ADC this year would uh, you'd be able to to train for it and and to go and compete well, but you wouldn't be able to turn it into like a little mini vacation and stay in Brazil for you know and enjoy that aspect of it. Is that kind of what I got from you as far as when they move the date? Yeah, like basically, I'd have to come right back. Yeah, which it's it's a little unfortunate, but I'm I'm used to that now. Yeah, that's I mean, the, competing in ADCC is the experience uh, that you. I mean, th- that's what you're going there for, I guess. But it'd be nice to be able to stay for a few days anyway. Oh yeah, you know exactly, and and you know even though I wouldn't really be able to turn most of these experiences into a vacation, I'm still more than open to competing into things like. Metamorphs, Copa Podio, you know the the Polaris things, Eddie Bravo Invitationals. I think all those are excellent events, and I'd I'd love to compete in them. Um, I, I I know they've there's been the huge uh, the huge news about the exclusivity contracts and everything going around, but I think uh, all in all that that hasn't dissuaded me any from being interested in these events. Yeah. Now, I'm just kind of thinking about your style and how you push the pace, and you get guys like the second round in the tournament, third round or whatever, and in one of these tournaments, like or one of these non-tournament style uh, matches, it uh, it might be a little bit different having him uh, not be tired from the second match. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Like he's going to be a fresh guy that you're going to have to, um, you'll have uh, hopefully more time. Uh, to work on them, but it, it might be, I don't know, I think about tournaments I've done, like the second match is always different because uh, we're both more tired than when we started our first match. And and for a guy like you like to push things, to push the pace, you, you'll take the guy from being fresh to being exhausted in the course of the one match. I don't know, it just kind of, I'm just kind of thinking off on the tangents, I guess. I, I hope so. so. Do you mean like one of those metamorph style matches? Yeah, where you just get one guy and that's it. Yeah, I, you know, that's that's kind of tough too, uh, especially when it's twenty minutes. So yeah, I think to me, I would still want to try to wear the guy down a little bit. Obviously, obviously, I'm I'm trying to catch them in a submission, and my strategy might change a little bit because it, when points don't matter, it, it makes things kind of tough. But I still think that there is a big importance in. Uh, getting and maintaining good positions. Yeah, but and, can, and, how you you mentioned when points don't matter. It's it, in the first half of the ADCC. It's easier to wear them down and just kind of just kind of work uh, for a while and not worry about the points. And then the second half was when um, it was stuff was easier for you because they were worn out. And maybe this and like you may kind of just mentally have two different phases, like wear them out phase and then submit them phase. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, I, I think so, but. It, 
I think there's a decent amount of other people who have that too. If if the submission ever presents itself, yeah, I, I do go for it. Sometimes I go a little soon. Uh, there was my first match at the Pan Ams. I went for a lot of submissions and just never finished any of them because I just uh, I, I was going for them too soon. Maybe wasn't setting them up very well, and I'd, and I'd get the guy caught in them, but I just couldn't finish them because I was off by a little bit, you know. Um, but I just think it's easier once you have broken the other person down a little bit. They're more likely to they're more likely to give you something that you want. Yeah. Um, what what advice would you have for a student that's going to do their first tournament? The advice that I would give for someone doing their first tournament. So, especially if you're a white belt and you're fairly new to the sport, I would say. Don't go in with any expectations. Uh, obviously, it depends on how competitive of a person you are. You you want to win, but at the end of the day, you really want to have a good time. You want your first tournament to be a good experience because a lot of people will go out and they'll compete, and, and then they won't like it, and then they, they either won't compete again or they will just stop jujitsu altogether. Um, if, just be prepared for not not necessarily prepared for anything that could happen you know there's you're not at that level of training yet but just be prepared in your mind for something unexpected happening um don't don't do not cut weight for your first tournament unless you're just right on the edge that's not something that you want to start that early uh, i actually <laughs> i very Strongly disagree with the way a lot of people cut weight now, actually. But, uh, yeah, for your first tournament, don't cut weight. And just be focused on having fun. When, when you do go out there, yeah, know the, know how the points are, know how the rules are. But if you see something, go for it. You know? Yeah. I, I think that's something important for new competitors new competitors to realize. And then... When they, if they like it and they want to start taking it more seriously, then they start hammering down more on what their strategy is going to be and um, how, to, how, to, how to play the game. Cool. Well, you kind of uh, teased me there with the weight cutting thing. How, how do you feel about weight cutting? How do you like to do it? I'm, I'm, my thing about weight cutting is I'm so much bigger than most other competitors. You know, most of our – most jiu-jitsu guys are – uh, what do you, what do you want to say light lightweight? Yeah, I th- yeah, I think there's a lot of there's a ton of people like 160 to 180. I mean, probably even lighter than that. Yeah, yeah, that's it's, that's it's a big thing. group of people. It's, it's typically, a, I, I don't want to say a smaller person's sport, uh, but my thing for me is I I used to walk around a little lighter than I do now. Now I walk around at about 220, 225, and I'll, I usually do super heavy, so I need to weigh 222 in the gi. So I need to lose eh, anywhere between 5 to 10 pounds. Well, that's you know that's not a big deal for me because I'm so much bigger. If you have someone that weighs 160, 170, they need to lose 5 to 10 pounds. It's a big difference because I can just go in the sauna and I can cut that and that's no problem, you know. So if you look at if you look at me and you say ten pounds out of what 
225, that's a really low percentage of my total body weight. I think that's close to 4, 4%, 5%. Yeah. But if you look at 10 pounds from somebody who's 160, it's a, you know, it's, it's a little bit higher. And I think that takes a, a huge toll on those guys. And they also, <clears throat> they also start to cut and they just cut their calories. They cut their food intake by so much when really it might be better if they were to just increase their conditioning and then slowly, like slowly reduce their calories or change what they eat. You know, it's, it's, I don't, I just don't agree with how much people try to cut to make that lower weight when I don't know that they would necessarily do better at that lower weight. Cause I, I know some guys will, they'll cut the weight and they just feel horrible the whole time. They, they go out there and compete. Maybe they do well, maybe they don't. And you can just see it take their toll on them. They're exhausted. They don't compete like they train. I just think it's, uh, I think it's detrimental to their performance. And that, I think, you know, your advice to the first student, your st- the first time student competing was to, you know, try to enjoy the experience as a whole. And cutting weight is generally not an experience that one would enjoy anyway. No, I think, it's, especially if you're a first timer, if you're like two pounds over, yeah, then yeah, okay, go ahead and go down to the next weight class. You're probably not going to feel that. Yeah. But once you start getting uh, five pounds and more over, depending on how much you weigh, you know, yeah, if you're a super heavyweight, go to the sauna and sweat out that five pounds. That's no problem. But if if you're a lightweight, I don't know if I'd do that. You know. Cool. Well, let's let's say um, you've got a friend who's starting jujitsu and they're enjoying it. Uh, what would be a good goal for anybody their first year of training jujitsu? I think a, a good goal in your first year of training would actually be to to go ahead and do a competition and see what it's like. Um, obviously you'd like to try to get promoted as much as you can in that first year. But at the same time, you don't want that to be your focus. So I, I would say that definitely go, the goal is go ahead and get a competition in at the end of the year, not nowhere near the beginning. And, See how, see how much you can get promoted just by having fun with it. Not not taking the promotion too seriously, but just by having fun with it. Cool. Do you have any sponsors you would like to thank? Yes, actually, uh, Do or Die has supported me through thick and thin. They supported me when I was doing jujitsu full time there, and they kept supporting me. When I told them I was going to go back to school, so I really appreciate them. They do a lot for me. Uh, a recent addition is True Nutrition. They're a supplement company. Also, uh, <laughs> they're actually just a mile away from Do or Die. But I really like their products. It's been really helpful. They have a very high quality. I visited their facility while I was in San Diego, and it was amazing. I really like those guys. Well, cool. Um, how can somebody keep up with you and, and uh, follow what you're doing? Uh, if you want to keep up with me, honestly, I would I would follow me on Instagram. And so that's at Megalodop. 
and there's actually an interesting story behind that name. Uh, or check me out on Facebook. I have an athlete page, and I have my normal page. I would say Twitter. Twitter is also at Megalodop, but I really don't post a lot to it. I, I don't know why. I just don't really do a whole lot on Twitter. I hardly ever check it. Well, cool. I'll put all those in the show notes for somebody to, to find easily. I got to know what's the interesting story be- behind uh, Megalodop. So Megalodop is a nerd thing. All right. That's one of my one of my school deals. So sitting around with a bunch of my uh, school friends, couple, they they actually all did jujitsu, but they all went back and went to college again. And we were actually talking about, I believe we were talking about the ocean and how the ocean is like just a cruel, cruel world, right? Yeah. Talking about the creatures that live in there, you know. And I threw out the idea of the, you know, the megalodon shark. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, that old school shark that just destroyed everything. And one of my friends were like, "Oh, dude, we should call you Megalodop." <laughs> and now I've been in love with it ever since. That's cool. And you know, like, it's, it takes me to remember the uh, like, um, you know. Your shark in the on the mat, you know, like the water. I've, I'm butchering the uh, analogy, but um, most people don't know how to swim, and you're a shark in the water. Uh, you're megalodop. That's cool. I like it. <laughs> I think that's that's one of the reasons why I really liked it was because of that quote. Well, cool. Hey, man, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Uh, looking forward to seeing you compete this year. Hopefully, uh, we'll see you in ADCC. We'll we'll, tr- we'll try to keep in touch with you and, and get you on some other time. It's been a lot of fun. Hey, awesome. I've had a great time. I really appreciate it. All right. Another big thank you to Jared Dopp. And uh, he's under Rafael Lovato Jr. So we've also interviewed him. So that, I mean, if you want more uh, similar ideas and philosophies, they are uh, from the same, uh, cut from the same cloth, maybe. I don't know what it is. Cut from the same gi. So, yeah, I like that. If you haven't heard uh, Rafael Lovato's interview, that's definitely something you should check out. And it's up on uh, iTunes or Stitcher Radio, wherever you download your podcast at Gary I'm still uh, mailing out key patches occasionally here for uh, people that send us uh, uh, who write a uh, review on iTunes or Stitcher Radio and they then send us an email to bjjbrick at gmail.com and let us know that they've written a review and and uh, we like them if they make them funny but they don't have to yeah and, funny or not it's all a review yep. we uh, try to learn from it so from there, we'll get your your address, not your email, just put your actual address and, and mail you out a gee patch. It's pretty simple. Very simple. Um, so I mentioned our email is bjbrick at gmail.com. Another good way to get a hold of us is our Facebook page. You could message us or just write on our wall there. We'll see it. Um, that's a good way because both me and Gary are administrators on that, and we both could, could uh, interact with you guys, and that's a lot of fun that way. We have a Twitter, Instagram, uh, YouTube. Uh, Pinterest, man, we got tons of stuff that uh, largely uh, I remember occasionally to mention. <laughs> yeah, we forget about that. But, but uh, uh, definitely uh, hit us up. We always like to hear from everybody. Yeah, Facebook's probably, if you're going to go like, go find us on one of them, Facebook probably the one to go to or sign up on the email list uh, on the Facebook page or on the website, bjjbrick.com. Uh, Gary, if somebody's driving through Wichita and it's the uh, if it's May 16th, what should they do? If it's May 16th, they should definitely stop in Wichita. Go hit up Fox Fitness for the uh, uh, Grapplathon to uh, 
benefit uh, Amber Oxford Haynes. So definitely you got to do that. If it's any other day in the year, which should they do? Then they should message Byron or I, preferably on Facebook page, or you can send us an email at uh, bjgbrick at gmail.com. Let us know you're coming through town, and uh, we'll get together and train. Absolutely. Any given day, uh, I might be busy or Gabe might be busy, but odds are one of us will, will get to, to train with you at least. So uh, don't uh, don't drive through and not, uh, not let us know. We've had a lot of people take us up on the offer, so we need some more. All right, guys. Well, we will catch you next week. We've got another great show planned for you. Um, if you want to check out the itinerary we have, that's also in the Dropbox folder in the email list. Um, it'll be a picture of a whiteboard, and you get to see what's happening uh, in the upcoming weeks. Can't wait. We appreciate you listening. Thank you. Yep, and stay sweaty, my friends. Thank you for listening. I hope you find the time today to roll. After all, the best way to get better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Gary, we've got... Uh, okay, let's get uh, Matt Lowe on the line before we do our quote. Okay. Let me, I'll try to throw out a little quote. Gary, we mentioned it last week. We have a very important event called Grapplathon for Amber Oxford on. We're going to talk with the person who's running it. Here is Matt Lowe. Okay, let me just see if he picks up his phone. We're at we're doing pretty good. That's seven and a half minutes, so that's not. Uh, I thought we. Hey guys, can you hear me? <laughs> hey Matt, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, guys. <laughs> oh. oh, Gary, you had me kind of like. Did he just? I just thought. Did he just call Matt Low on here? <laughs> but it, like, there's no picture of Matt up, so I know that that didn't happen. He almost had me, man. Matt Lowe. He's right below Matt Thornton. <laughs> Add to group. <laughs>